0: So most of us can't imagine uh, this scenario where you're going to be telling your, you know, your neighbors, hey, lock and load, and we've got Russian tanks or God forbid, Chinese Communist Party tanks in the streets. We're going to have to engage in urban fighting with, with our, you know, our soldiers. How do you get that done? Well, we're about to find out with a retired Green Beret. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. And it is a time for prayer for people, just everybody involved in the war. Um, Russia started with Ukraine. Loss of life is not something that we want to favor. And I'm also deep prayer for Christians who are staying to witness to people, and God forbid our troops get involved in this. Michael Rorka is with me. He's founder and CEO of Advanced Operational Concepts, retired uh, Army Ranger. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the Todd Herman Show.
1: Thanks, Todd. Always good to talk to you.
0: Um, So let's start right with the meat of this thing. Uh, I saw some video of tanks in urban areas in Ukraine, and some people had successfully stopped these tanks. Uh, but that's not always going to happen. So I wanted to chat with you. I, I can't believe we're having this conversation, but I think it would be fascinating for audience uh, to talk about urban warfare and what people would need to do to stop Russia that seems to say they're going into a city of 2.8 million people.
1: The um, Yeah, the tent you're seeing uh, destroyed, or most of them were probably taken out by um, the In-Law uh, and Javelin missiles that were supplied by NATO and uh, NATO's trying to get more of them in there. Those things are great tank killers, uh, to defend an urban center like that. You've got to turn it into a fortress. You've, you've got to, I mean, even if it means blown up some of your own buildings to create rubble, to block tanks, you know, you want to force these, uh, force these armor and infantry units into uh, kill zones. And then, um, the, uh, urban combat favors the defender. So they they've definitely got a chance, but Russia's upping the firepower that they've been using. They weren't going uh, full bore with their uh, long range fires, but um, and they've definitely started stepping it up now. So it's gonna be even more bloody.
0: Uh, so when you talk about setting up these kill zones, I, I've seen uh, the Ukrainians apparently are blowing up their own bridges. So you, you start destroying your own infrastructure and that has to be without regard to hygiene or warmth or power for people. I mean, as you get to pick and choose Mike,
1: you want to try to protect your own infrastructure as much as possible because in the defense, you still have to, uh, you know, try to keep people warm. Yeah. Keep lights on when you can, but I mean, you're 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 taking down street signs or changing street signs around to try to confuse the enemy. Um, you're taking the uh, Keith Metro uh, map offline. In fact, I just put out a tweet asking the uh, the folks that maintain that uh, website take it offline because it's still up right now. That's where people are taking shelter. Um, the, the underground battlefield is part of this. You know, sewers, metro lines allows people to uh, move from place to place without, you know, going above ground and exposing themselves. But yeah, you, you're going to be to do this, right. You're going to be destroying some of your own infrastructure. You're going to crater roads, you know, basically put charges in roads and blow big holes in them to force tanks to go to another place. You're taking uh, building rubble and, and moving it out and, you know, into the street or, or building bunkers within it. Every construction company in Ukraine right now should be engaged has uh kind of makeshift combat engineers helping their military and helping their people build these obstacles. Um even things like using personal drones. One. People can even use their uh, their personal drones, not only for reconnaissance, but to just uh, scare the pants off uh, Russian soldiers. Um the uh, Ukrainian military is using Turkish drones to great effect to uh, kill tanks, anti-aircraft systems, and, you know, other types of vehicles. So if you put any type of drone over a Russian soldier's head, it, it it's going to scare them. They're going to take cover. It's going to throw them off their mission. So even things like that are, uh, are viable options. Wow. Um, there is a guy... Who
0: is, I mean, this is a guy on Twitter who is apparently in Ukraine. And, and I hope you can hear this. He he had commentary about the decision to hand out rifles. So it's uh, about 9 a.m. on uh, Monday, February 28th, uh, 2022. As you can see, that's the VIP club of the um, Premier Palace Hotel. I'm walking down to Krishatik.
1: And uh, I'm going to the supermarket. To get some food, they've announced that it's okay to go to supermarkets and pharmacies. Um, The problem that we're having is that uh, because of the weapons that the Zelensky regime uh, handed out willy-nilly in the last few days, a lot of criminals
0: have these... uh, military-grade weapons, quite frankly. So he's making the case, Mike O'Rourke, AOC Security, Advanced Operational Concepts. He makes the case that now there's robberies going on and the criminals have these weapons and, and they're seizing territory. Uh, I, I, I guess that's to be expected and it doesn't seem any different than American cities, quite honestly to me, but I'll do the politics. You do the um, military analysis. Is that, is that unheard of in a scene, uh, urban warfare scene or have we seen, uh, governments hand out weapons like this before?
1: Well, Ukraine's in a fight for its own survival. Um, so they're, they've got everyone, uh, getting involved in the fight and yes, they are passing out weapons. Um, I'm sure this was done. Probably in, uh, Stalingrad in the, in, uh, during World War II, uh, where everyone was, uh, was brought into the fight. You don't really have much of a choice. You know, um, if, if you don't put everyone into this, um, you're gonna, you're gonna lose your country. Um, and you're, you gonna become a vassal state of, uh, Vladimir Putin. So yeah, the, you know, sure, some bad actors will, yeah. will get weapons. Um, there is a, uh, you know, there's a, uh, certainly a viable, a uh, Ukrainian uh, mob, you know, both uh, over there and over here, um, but you really don't have a choice. Um, you know, that's why they're uh, stopping people, you know, men trying to leave at the border if you're age 18 to 60, unless you meet a certain set of uh, exemptions, um, you know, you're supposed to be ha- having a, you know, a rifle in your hands, some on top cocktails and be part of the fight. You know, it's it's
0: microcosmic, I guess, of, of the reality of, of trying to maintain freedom. Uh, I'm not giving up my guns because um, criminals misuse theirs. And, and I guess this is just rushing them out into the streets. Can How do citizens? Uh, I mean, look, I, I've, I've told you, you've offered to take me shooting. I know what I'm in for. I go shooting with a retired Army Ranger. I'll get schooled. I've done it before. I'll, I'll get schooled by you guys. Um, but I know how to shoot. I, I grew up around guns. But um, can a citizens group like be effective in stopping trained Russian troops?
1: They'll certainly be a part of the effective solution. Um, you know, they have to understand their limitations. Um, you know, it's not just shooting, but you have to shoot, move, and communicate. You have to engage in a fight and then live long enough to get into the next fight live through that fight for the next fight. So there's, it's going to be a steep learning curve. Um, I've seen video of people doing drive-bys on moving Russian armored vehicles, driving by in their cars and throwing Molotov cocktails at them. That is a fast way to get killed. You're going to lose a lot of the really brave ones, but not, uh, uh, deep thinkers uh, early. Um, they need to adopt better tactics you know, fight from alleyways, fight from upper, you know, upper level windows and drop, uh, you know, drop Molotov cocktails and, you know, anything else they can come up with down on on the top of, uh, you know, these vehicles and the troops, you know, they need to be dragging furniture out of apartments and blocking stairways with uh, refrigerators, sofas, anything that keeps them from uh, getting up to where the fighters are. They need to learn how to knock holes in walls, not only to shoot from, You don't want to stick the barrel of a weapon out of a hole, but you want to be back inside where they can't actually tell where the round's coming from. But then, knock holes big enough for people to um, to go through to move from room to room, and then preferably have a uh, covered and concealed way to exit that building if need be and get to the next strong point. So it's going to be a steep learning curve, (laughs) and uh, they don't have they don't have a lot they don't have a lot of time to do it under some significant pressure, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. When
0: we hear the phrase military advisor and, you know, guys like you go into a zone like that, how do you, like, do you gather citizens together and have a Ukrainian interpreter and say, listen up, this is what we're doing. Do you, do you do try to create, you know, mini teams as it were?
1: If you're engaging in what's called unconventional warfare, which is supporting a resistance movement, that is definitely part of it. Um, you'll use, you know, citizens. you also use, uh, you know, uh, remnants of the, uh, you know, former regime military that, uh, you know, that's still trying to carry on the fight and uh, liberate their country. But, yeah, that's definitely part of it. But you also need people to, uh, you know, move around without weapons and gather intelligence wow. and then bring it back. So the intel, I mean, you talked about
0: using drones. I mean, that can tell... I guess the, the Ukrainian military where the Russians are at and where they're amassing, what's the other sort of intelligence, human intelligence that you'd want to gain uh, with, with citizens moving about?
1: Eyes and ears on the ground, seeing where they're at. And then rather than, you know, perhaps taking a one-off Molotov cocktail talk, at them, maybe give that information to somewhere, uh, someone that can use it and bring some more military power to bear. It needs to develop into an organized process. Where you know you, you start, even in a local area, you start having a clearinghouse of information. Hey, looks like they're over here now. Um, you know, it, Russian prisoners of war seem to be talking very freely, um, and you know a lot of prisoners are being taken. Of course, most of these guys don't even know, know what's going on. Some of them don't even realize they're in Ukraine. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, in fact, um, go ahead. The Ukrainian government has set up a hotline. Um, for Russian mothers to call Ukraine to see if their, uh, if their sons have been killed or captured. Wow.
0: And so that's a, that's a little mini psyop, I guess, to try to put some sort of political pressure on Putin. I don't think he responds to political pressure, does he? No, but it's a,
1: uh, um, but it's, I mean, it's actually a little bit of a humanitarian effort too, but it, yeah, it's a way to get the word out because they're not getting, um, back home in, uh, in the Rodina, in the motherland, they're not getting a whole lot of information on what's actually happening. Some people only think that they were going into the, uh, uh, areas, uh, the contested areas, the Luhansk and the, uh, uh, like, uh, Donbass areas that were the uh, separatist areas. And some, some of these soldiers thought they were just going on military training exercises. (laughs)
0: Okay. So, it's difficult to shock me because uh, I've become fairly cynical uh, over the past couple of years, but they would do that. They would send guys to
1: their death saying, Hey, this is just practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and it is it, it, a, it's a terrible way to run an army. It's not professional. And that's why you're getting a lot of uh, these guys giving up pretty quickly. I've heard some reports anecdotal, don't know how uh, if they're legit or not. About uh, some soldiers even puncturing the fuel tanks in their own armored vehicles, and then uh, basically just abandoning the equipment.
0: Wow! And we've seen the—I've seen footage at least that purports to be Russian tanks out of gas, and maybe that's maybe that's the case. They punctured their uh, their fuel tanks. So Putin,
1: yeah, I say you're probably talking about the video where the uh, Ukrainians. I uh, drove up to these guys and asked what they're doing. And the Russians told me we ran out of gas. That, that's the matter of them running running ahead uh, their logistics chains. The uh, people that bring the ammo, the fuel, the bullets. Um, they're and this is something that the American army does very well. And the Russians are just showing that they're absolute garbage at this. And but garbage, I guess, can be
0: made up for in bulk because it looks like Putin is making this up with a bulk of, of troops and equipment. And someone said, it's a 40 mile long road of, of, mm-hmm. you know, someone said war machines As you look at this as uh, an army ranger and, and you're used to you know, working with air supports and, and such. I mean, that is an absolutely, I would imagine I've never fought a war. You fought them for me, but I would imagine that an air force person's looking at that saying, oh, I could take a lot of stuff out.
1: Yeah, um, I'm sure there are some uh, A-10 pilots out there saying, oh, please, 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 (laughs) because it's a perfect linear target for them. I don't know how much uh, air power Ukraine has left. Um, The SU-25 is the Russian-made ground attack uh, aircraft. It's like their version of our A-10 tank killer. Um, And as far as I know, Ukraine has them. I just don't know if they can get Uh, to the, to that target yet. I'm sure we're probably providing us, uh, being NATO, providing some targeting information, but it's going to take Ukraine to actually get the effects on target.
0: And this is, I think a dynamic that, you know, I don't pretend to, I don't play the game where I'm suddenly a foreign policy expert, but I, I, there's a cost for attacking Russia, And there's not the same cost for Russia attacking Ukraine, that if we engage or NATO engages and we get into Ukrainian airspace and we take direct action against the Russians, then that's a that's a declaration of war against a country with nukes. And Putin dialing up his, I guess he said, his nuclear deterrent program to put it on a higher (laughs) form of alert. Um, a couple things, what does that mean for, you know, you as a guy who's been in the field and, and your colleagues in the field, they would be most immediately at risk from that. Like, what does that mean to hear Putin's dialing up the nuclear deterrence?
1: Well, that's what everyone's trying to figure out is what it actually means. You know, did, did it actually mean, okay, they did something or, you know, is he just kind of blustering for an internal uh, Russian audience? Um, it's still ominous. And if we were to, you know, engage, put air power, NATO air power over Ukraine, or declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which if you do that, then you have to enforce it by shooting down Russian planes, we've probably entered the realm of uh, a, a hot World War Three. Really? That's yeah. If, if if NATO and Russia start fighting, there's, it's probably going to quickly escalate outside of Ukraine. Huh. well, in 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 my in my personal ground level opinion,
0: right. And so, uh, the Bible warns us about such times, and I'm not. No one knows when the end times come, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the Bible warned us about that. Um, They warned us about Isaiah Mm -hmm. 5:20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. I mean, there's there's warnings about you know wars and rumors of wars. But I don't know that, you know, people who've not lived through it, I can't relate to a world war. I mean, I, I, I my grandpa grew up in that. My, my parents talked about it. I know how it affected my grandpa's psyche. But what does, I mean, with the level of sophistication that we've got now, uh, world war would mean something that we've never seen before. I mean, uh, with the, an EMP blast and taking out of, you know, the cyber wars, etc.
1: I can't imagine how horrific that could be. And that, that's why I think there are lines that NATO is not willing to cross, uh, such as a no-fly zone. Um, I'm hearing different reports about uh, some of the NATO countries willing to supply uh, Ukraine with a jet fighter aircraft that Ukraine pilots would fly because we're already trained on them. They're the same type of airplanes. They're like mig 29. Uh, But I'm also hearing some reports that, you know, they're deciding against this. Right now, I don't know where that truth lies, if that's going to happen. But we're definitely supplying them with lethal aid, getting stuff there on the ground and, you know, working to get people out. Um, Even Elon Musk has got the Internet systems uh, for his Skylink or whatever you call it uh, into Ukraine to try to keep them uh, online over there so they can help, uh, you know, coordinate their fight. So there, there's a lot going on, but I think there's some lines that uh, no one wants to cross. Yeah. Uh, and, well,
0: th- even to say the stakes, I and mean, everyone understands we're talking about the stakes, we're going to continue chatting with Mike O'Rourke. He's the CEO, founder, Advanced Operational Concepts, retired Army Ranger, served our country, still serving it in this way. want to talk about... Um, I guess real life, people still traveling. But I do have some good news about nuclear war. Mike, you'll love this when we continue here. I've got some great news about nuclear war from the Huffington Post. So Mike is one of my friends who is clearly a truth teller. Great deal of expertise. Um, If you're traveling, you got to stay tuned. If you're in a company that's traveling, got pleasure traveling, you got to stay tuned and hear Mike uh, talk about that. Stay tuned. See, I'm an old fashioned radio guy. It's never going to leave me. It's in my blood. Another one of my friends who is a truth teller we have on the air whenever we can, actually once a week. Zach Abraham is the chief investment officer, Bulwark Capital Management. And yeah, you better believe that this, um, that this squeeze and this war is affecting the the finances of the world. Some people making big money on it. And Zach is very open that there are people who profiteer from this stuff. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for your portfolio, particularly if you're nearing retirement? And look, there's a great advantage to early retirement. That is that, you know, and if you've got a a retirement program at work, you lock that in as you leave, you know. So if your heart is telling you, your soul, your, your mind is saying, man, I think it's time to get out. Call Zach and see if you can do early retirement with your company. Lots of people thought they couldn't. Uh, Through Zach's work at Bulwark Capital Management, they found out that they can. And just rest assured that they focus on risk management. Because, look, retiring early is a risk. It could also be a big blessing. So if you don't know if you can retire early, just call Zach Abraham at Bulwark Capital Management. That's 866-779-RISK. Eight six six seven seven nine risk or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. And Michael Rourke, I was just going to tell you this really good news about nuclear war. Are you ready for this good news? I love good news about nuclear war. Yeah. So um, the Huffington Post has a piece up here by uh, Dean uh, Pretorius, and he asks a very important question, Mike. Could a small nuclear war reverse global warming? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, Wow. I don't even know how to respond to that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is the same week that we had – the what was it? The FDA, uh, EPA, come out and say if you have to shelter in place because of war um, or a nuclear blast. No, this if 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 Putin launches a nuke at the United States, please do try to maintain social distancing when you're sheltered in your crawl space in your home. Yeah, is that the first thing that would come to your mind uh, if 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 nukes were coming, or would you might be thinking about taping off an area, um, getting food and water, and being at a place where you can stay for ten to fifteen days while the isotopes blow away? Yeah, I think
1: it would be totally focused on survival.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's just that's. And then we also had John Kerry, who is deeply concerned that Putin going to war with Ukraine was taking his eye off the global warming ball. So we do have our priorities uh, is straight. Um, Mike, there are people who have to travel for business to Europe. Uh, there's people still traveling, you know, and a lot of times like there's there's companies that require that. I've got friends who have to head overseas all the time every other week they're going to Europe or they're going to Asia. So what, what advice do you have as someone who helps corporate clients in environments like this? How do you keep people safe? And what's your advice to people who have to travel right now?
1: Um, before we get to that, I do have one correction I'd yeah. like to make. Um, you, you've heard me a lot of times as like retired army ranger. Yeah. Um, while I'm a graduate of U.S. Army Ranger School, I never served in a Ranger Battalion or the 75th Ranger Regiment, and that's who I reserved the title Ranger for. Okay. Um, but I, but I did spend, I said, uh, the last uh, 19 or 20 of my almost 24 years on active duty in Special Forces. Okay, in so, Special I, Forces. I re- my, yeah, I reserve uh, the Ranger title for those that serve in the Ranger regiment. I think that's very, very wise since
0: they're the Rangers. It's my bad. I've, I've told you before, I'll never get you guys in all your terminology. You, you've, <laughs> you tried to school me for years. I always slip it up. I always screw it up. So I apologize about that. And thanks for making that uh, clear. I know you to be a man of honor, but never go out and say something that you weren't. So my my bad.
1: No, uh, no worries at all. Um, so getting back to uh, travel to Europe. Um, I think you can still travel to Europe. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily look, I mean, even tourist travel, there are plenty of places to go. that are nowhere near where the fighting is going on right now. You know, if people want to volunteer to help with refugees, you know, coming in through Poland, Hungary, uh, Romania, um, uh, you know, it's like they can probably connect with some sort of non-government organization and, you know, um, and be able to volunteer. Um, but yeah, business travel, um, even, uh, tourist travel, you know, even in the era of covid um, it 's still going on um, but definitely they you know, don 't want you going, trying to go to Ukraine, Belarus, or Russia right now. In fact, the state of is are urging all Americans to get out of Russia, and uh, I know France has joined that uh, for their citizens, and getting out of there is becoming a challenge because of the way the uh, airspace is being closed, so folks that that are over there you know they need to come out indirectly. And what that means is flying to a third country, like one of the hubs for between um, coming out of Russia would be to go to Dubai and then from there onward to Europe um, or the land borders are open um, between Russia and, uh, and West, some of the Western countries or you know NATO countries. But yeah, the people can still travel to Europe right now, but you need to stay abreast of what's happening over there and you know make sure that things haven't escalated. If someone was, th- you know, if someone thought they might want to travel to Russia, and there aren't compared to travel to Europe, there aren't that many people that travel to Russia from uh, from America. But you know, it's still um, quite a few people that do. Uh, yeah, cancel those plans, shelve them, and don't don't look at making those plans anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I, I would say not. Um, and if people are there now, they have to be. Like, I guess I'm not excited about flying around. At all, when missiles are in the air, uh, and yeah. Putin's acting the way he's acting, um, if do you, who knows when? I, I hadn't had a chance to pull the audio, but but the vice president, were so called Kammy Harris, was asked on a podcast to describe a radio show to describe what's going on, and and she said effectively that the what she, her her answer was. This is a quote. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. I I listened to that. I read it with great relief because clearly she has a a huge and very important handle on all of this. Um, So it's impossible to say, but have you heard any whispers about um, Americans being put at risk outside of NATO? Would that even happen?
1: Well, the Americans are at risk inside Russia, um, and even before this, they're, uh, the State Department warned about arbitrary arrest, harassment, yeah. and has discouraged uh, travel to Russia for some time. That's probably what we're looking at now. The um, you know, I don't know if it's going to escalate to essentially hostage taking, where start rounding up you know citizens of uh, of NATO countries. I have not heard about that happening, but. I think uh, Americans and Westerners should be looking for a way out of country uh, very rapidly. Yeah. Wow.
0: Uh, I didn't expect to have my breath taken away. Just thinking about this, I guess I've been a little bit removed from it. And, and I guess the reason why is there's, it's our news cycle is so insane. And I look at the, the COVID news that's come out about kids mm-hmm. under 12 being 40% more likely to get Covid, I look at the reports: five hundred VARs database entries on on permanent disablement and even death of people under twelve, kids under twelve, and the news cycle on our economy, etc. But um, you sharing the image with me on World War Three as a possibility, like I, I, I guess we're all guessing, but your guess is better than mine. As retired special forces, what are the odds that we end up in a hot World War Three?
1: Um, I'm hoping, and hope is not a strategy, uh, certainly hope is very low. Um, looks like uh, cooler heads are prevailing, you know, at uh, the NATO U.S. leadership as far as getting directly involved as combatants. Um, they're definitely working to avoid that. But you have to think, with lethal aid coming in over land borders from uh, NATO countries, they're, you know, are the Russians going to miscalculate and hit those, uh, you know, those targets where they're just inside, um, you know, say Poland, for example, you know, by, because they're not, may, might not be that accurate. And you know, so oh, we thought we we're aiming on this side of the border, you know, what happens in that scenario? <laughs> or do they just let that, they'll let that aid come in and then try to take it out once it's inside Ukraine.
0: Okay. So I thought my breath was taken. Now it's really taken because now we're talking about an accidental, entry into another country this is becoming more complicated um we'll continue and wrap this up with uh, michael rourke who is the founder and ceo of advanced operational concepts um these retired special forces help us make sense of the speaking of our military we're just so honored this week to announce our new partnership with bone Frog coffee and the founder of bone Frog, tim crookshank 25 year Navy veteran, um, Navy SEALs. Well, and Tim founded Bone Frog, uh, number one, because he wanted to cement in people's minds what the Bone Frog is. And the Bone Frog is iconic um, in the world of SEALs. It, it is a reminder of the SEALs who've given their lives for this country. It, he also wanted to express his faith and his principles. And help raise funds for fallen seals. So he did that with Bonefrog Coffee. You'll see on the coffee bags, God, country, team on every one of them. And I asked him before, what happens when the big retailers come along and they say, oh, yeah, you know, we can't have God on our bags, things that you want to put into our shops. Can't do that. He said, no, it's non-negotiable. Will not happen. So we're partnered with them. I'm utterly honored to do this. And by the way, it is about the coffee. Tim's a fanatic for coffee. If you listen to me on the radio show, the podcast, you know, I'm nuts for coffee. Um, this is the best coffee I've ever had. I won't drink anything now, but bone frog. And the reason it's good is they brought in an iconic coffee roaster, a guy named Dave Stewart, who helps them, right? He advises them. He helps create their blends. He mentors and, and them and roast coffee for bone frog. So it's stellar. And I just I love the blends. So here's what you do: go to BoneFrog.us and and sign up for the subscription stuff. You get this at home. And incidentally, there's another coffee company owned by veterans, and they came out and said, "Oh, we're we're the Second Amendment Coffee Company." Until Kyle Rittenhouse needed his Second Amendment, and then they sort of turned on him. That won't happen with BoneFrog.us. So we're really really honored to sponsor them. Uh, I hope I didn't offend you by talking about a, a Navy guy here, Mike. Is that okay? <laughs>
1: I've uh I've worked with uh, Navy SEALs on active duty and uh, I still do in uh, my private capacity.
0: Right. So so we're, we're okay. I just want to make sure I didn't offend anybody. We'll have to get are good, brother. Okay, we'll get you some bone frog coffee. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. If there is an accidental incursion, <laughs> in, in into Poland, my understanding of history is that there is somewhat of a dislike. Uh, between the Poles and the Russians. And the Poles were very, very happy to have the Russians kicked out of their country I don't know that they would accept, oh, this is accidental because um, dictators in Europe have a nasty habit of saying, oh, we just want this country. I, I know that much history that, oh, all we want is Ukraine and we don't really intend to stay. And And once we have Ukraine, it's not like we need to go next door and then go shopping for other countries. But Putin's also said, hey, I want to rebuild the Soviet Union. I've, I've described it as he's taken reparations. He thinks it was stolen from him. So he's taken reparations. Um, what are the chances I mean, what are the chances this spreads? Do you think that Putin would actually go try to seize other countries?
1: Seize another country? If yeah. he took Ukraine? Yeah. Um, I would look uh, at some of the, uh, you know, the various stands: Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, mm. a lot of which are, are kind of in the sphere already. Although I believe it was Kazakhstan that denied uh, Putin's request to supply troops. Um. As far as the, uh, like an accidental thing happened in, in Poland, um, you know, if, if they're smart, if the Russian command control is smart and I don't really have an indication that they are, um, and they would probably set up some sort of like zone, a buffer zone away from any NATO border that they won't operate. in. you know, they won't let us know that, but internally, hopefully they'll have to do something like that to help prevent an accidental, uh, you know, cross border incident. Wow. <sighs> okay, well, so
0: usually when I talk with you, I feel better. I don't, so so congratulations on that. Uh, you help companies figure this out, right? So people who travel and their their teams have to go out and travel. You help them get this figured out. So how do people get in touch with you if they need to get this figured out?
1: Um, our website is uh, adopcon or adopcon.com dot and uh, they can reach us there. Um, people can follow me on Twitter at AOC underscore security. And, um, I can be reached uh, that way as well. Good. And, uh, yeah, the, the the idea is to have a plan in place before something happens, because once, as we say, once the balloon goes up, it's a little late to start planning.
0: So, but we're talking about a balloon going up in Ukraine, but that's, but balloons in the air, but you just shared with this audience that, there's other balloons that may launch. So, I mean, you're really, I guess if I was going to be sending people overseas at all, or if I have overseas monies, businesses, locations, I mean, this is now that they have to plan for this, like as in yesterday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely not predicting World War III. Um, I think people are working very hard to make sure nothing like that happens. But, If you have people that are working for you in other countries, you have what's called a duty of care responsibility, uh, basically to help keep them safe. And part of that is contingency planning, having um, plans or contingency plans in place to help get them out, either um, wholesale, have to get everyone out due to some international incident, people get hurt or injured and need to be repatriated back. Um, And that's uh, one of the areas that we help companies. Okay.
0: Well, uh, again, I, I, commonly feel better when we talk now, now I, I don't know that I'm going to recover for the day. Um, is there any good news in this? I mean, at least we don't have China being belligerent because they're taking a backseat to all this. I mean, they haven't been overflying Taiwan or breaking their airspace, have they?
1: Um, well, let's say if a if an American company with people in Taiwan doesn't have a contingency plan, uh, they need to get one, um, China is, uh, I think China's right now kind of unimpressed with Russia's performance (laughs) in uh, Ukraine. Yeah. So they, you know, they might be looking at making some of their, uh, you know, some of their own moves in in that area right now. You've got most of the, uh, Russian military forces that were near China's border are now completely on the other side of the continent. So, Uh, yeah, well, actually not in Asia anymore. They're over in Europe. China
0: would not, and I don't want to say this with any sense of admiration because the Chinese Communist Party is pure evil, but they wouldn't enter into something like this ill-prepared this way, right? The, um, Chinese, in, 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 to
1: enter into the Chinese
0: Communist Party wouldn't enter into, let's say, seizing Taiwan in a similarly unprepared fashion. They would have everything in a row, right? They'd have, a, they'd have everything all lined up and, and cooked up right, right?
1: Well, we saw the preparations for the Ukraine invasion, um, you know, starting for months, and you would see similar preparations for anything uh, going against Taiwan. And it's a lot harder to go across a uh, a lot of water than it is to go across the neighboring land border. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, I don't see
0: Chinese military running out of gas. Like, I don't see the uh, operational breakdowns. I maybe I'm maybe. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that the Chinese Communist Party would have every eye dotted. They don't have eyes, but they would have every detail handled, and wouldn't have the the problems that Putin has sort of made for himself.
1: Um, remains to be seen. Um, when uh, I think the last time China went to war, it was way back in like 1979 against Vietnam, and they didn't do very well. So have they learned their lesson since then?
0: I guess it remains to be seen. <laughs> okay. Well, so then I'm going to take that as hope, Mike O'Rourke. I'm going to take it as hope <laughs> that you didn't just say to me, yes, absolutely, um, China would knock this out of the park. Okay. That's the, that's the period of hope. And I just, I'm going to continue to pray that, oh, boy, that the people of Ukraine can launch a defense, that the Lord will intervene. He's watching. Uh, he knows that Putin you know, when in this as the aggressor and I'm not here to say that Ukraine's perfect with all of a sudden we're all to think that Ukraine is a perfect country. I don't buy that, but I don't know. Is there a prayer you guys offer in special forces? Do you guys ever like, is there, is there a a special forces type prayer you guys offer?
1: Um, no, I mean, I guess there is a a long special forces prayer that I I certainly couldn't recite it, but one of the interesting memes going around is, uh, It's kind of based on, uh, you know, Christian or Catholic, uh, you know, icons. And it's uh, called St. Javelin. You know, it's it's a picture of like an old time, you know, Christian uh, saint carrying a javelin missile. That's going around in uh, Ukraine and uh, online. Okay. yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Pray for more javelins.
0: Okay. Well, I'm just going to pray that the Lord you know, that the Lord will settle this uh, in a way that preserves as much life as possible and exposes Putin for what he is and sets him up for the fall because the Lord is known to take out the proud. So Michael Rourke, I, uh, I appreciate you joining me, my brother.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. Always good to talk with you. And uh, I'm still going to meet you on the range. <laughs> yeah. Well, well,
0: no video of that. Okay. Because I know it's coming my way <laughs> when I go shooting with a r- retired special forces guy. I uh, Okay. Uh, it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, Yes, for you, it will be. And it will be a learning experience for me. It's always fun to hang out with you, though. All right. Go with God's good grace, Mike. We appreciate you. All right, Todd. Thanks. Okay. Is everybody okay? Just wanted to check the room. (laughs) Man, I was hoping to feel better after that. Disconcerting times, and yet God has told us this is what's coming. And I was listening to a show earlier today, um, a Christian radio show, and apparently... Being despondent is a great sin. It's a great offense to God because we are to, um, you know, trust him and, and trust it as a plan. And remember that he's in charge. And the Apostle Paul was, had said he learned how to be okay with plenty and with none. And he learned that. So I guess that's something that, that we also need to learn. Um, but conversations like that can make that more difficult. Um, also, if you are of a mind to take a show like this and share it, you know, it's as easy as clicking a button on your podcast app and you can share through your podcast app and just send this to friends who are particularly concerned about this conflict. And, and I, I would so appreciate that, you know, on a personal note today, uh, this is a little bit tough for me to say, but I hurt myself really bad at the gym and I don't know why this is hard to say, because when you do what I do at my age, you're eventually going to get some kind of injury. It's, you can't prevent it. Well, you can, but that means you don't go to the edge. And that means that you don't, you know, seek the edge that you find the margins of your inability or the, the margins of your experience, the margins of your capabilities, and that's, that's been what has appealed to me for years about CrossFit and high-intensity training is operating at those margins. And I've just experienced in the past few days, uh, people gathering around me. And I mean, it's an injury. It's a sports thing. And maybe as a man, I've tied up my identity to some degree. And, oh, I can do these things physically. And I was visiting this morning with people about, what if God's taking this from me? What if God is saying, hey, you don't, that's not, we're not going to do that anymore. We talk a lot about a faith on the show. We move the podcast to a podcast form so that we can put God at the center. And here I am saying to the Lord, please don't take this from me. And I just had Mike on to talk about lives being taken infrastructure being taken. And I wonder if God is saying, buddy, I don't care about your pull-ups. And I really don't care what you can bench or what your time is in Fran. And so I guess on this personal note, I'm sitting here realizing it's not just pridefulness. It's priority. And the crazy thing about this is You know, my coach's husband is, and I I know this, right, a retired Army Ranger. And how silly of me to care about this injury. Okay, so I have to have surgery or stem cell. I'm, I'm in a dry home. And I have functional revenue. And yet I was despondent. Thinking of, oh, I can't do the gym for six... Well, I can do the gym, but not like I'm used to. So I wonder if God whispers in us, like... We all know what's going on in Ukraine. Have we really felt it? Have we really imagined putting the gun in your 13-year-old's hands and saying... Here's how you move and shoot. We're seeing your wife arm up. I don't know that we have. And I think that's the prayer that God might want from us. When part of the body of Christ is hurting, we're all hurting, or we're supposed to be. This is the Todd Herman Show. Go be well, be strong, be
1: kind, and yes, let's be right with God.